Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel for another episode of the Horror Express. This is episode 7, and we're talking about Videodrome, a David Cronenberg film from 1983 starring James Woods and Deborah Harry, who other people may know as Blondie. Um, and this is a, this is a very weird movie. It's a little hard to encapsulate, but basically... James Wood plays a producer who gets he gets kind of hypnotized by a video signal in a show that causes hallucinations, possibly causes a tumor that's a little bit unclear, and turns him into an assassin between two warring factions that are trying to use this videotape technology, this videodrome, to... Um, to basically take control, not take control, but to propagandize their message to North America. And, uh, and one faction wants to do it to sort of purify and cleanse North America, and the other faction wants to do it to help us achieve the next step in evolution. Um, so, so first off, did I get anything wrong in that synopsis, do you guys think? Or is that a, uh, a, fair, a fair overview? It's so hard to be objective about wrong in a movie like Videodrome, where it's philosophically about a concept that I guess David Cronenberg is obsessed with the whole new flesh thing. Um, like, I because you don't know how much this movie is a hallucination, you, you don't know how literally you're supposed to take some of the scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's quite a trip, so I think that's a if you're gonna try to encapsulate it in a way that's comprehensible, I think it's about as good of a job as you can do. Yeah, it's it's a valid interpretation, I would say. Whether it is the interpretation, no, I could come up with it with several other interpretations. But yeah, that's that's one of them. <laughs> what, what would you, what, what would be both of your general takes on it? Because it is a very subjective movie. This is super subjective. This film, depending on what you think is a hallucination, what you think isn't, and 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 how reliable you think James Woods is as a narrator. Um, so I, I don't know. I almost feel like we are supposed to be the ones who are subjected to Videodrome because it feels like kind of normal at first and then it gets more and more insane and it finally gets this insane in a way that kind of breaks the fourth wall at the very end. So I, I feel like while you're watching this movie, you're supposed to be experiencing the same kind of Videodrome journey that our protagonist goes on. That'd be my interpretation. Yeah. yeah, I remember the first time I ever saw this, it was, uh, you know, watching it on videotape and uh, on a TV that looked pretty much the same yeah. kind of cabinet TV that James Woods has in the movie. And it was just this weird effect of watching the TV on the TV. And yeah. uh, and I was just becoming creeped out by this thing in my living room as the movie went on. And it and interestingly watching it this time in 4k with ultra clarity made the tv portion stand out because the, the movie the tv the movie itself looks so filmic because yeah. of the high resolution the parts that were tv looked really tv so it was it was a different creepy effect this time watching it that is an interesting but, point i mean i mean obviously in the theater it would have been a different effect but yeah, growing up when we did yeah, we you know seeing movies like this on on video, that definitely changes the experience, right? And so it, it, yeah. it this was different seeing it on Amazon Prime on a computer 
versus <laughs> you know watching it on a on a tube TV where everything kind of matches up. It's interesting because in a way it is almost like a movie that was built for the video age, you know, and and so uh, and that age is well gone at this point. So, um, but I. I I, I, I want to return to something that uh, that Joel said about the ending. I think we should actually start with the end because I think that maybe how you'd interpret the ending shapes a lot of how you see the rest of the film. So what was your interpretation of the ending of the movie? Ooh, we, we should probably should. I, it's hard to, to preface this with spoiler tags. I, I don't know if you can spoil this movie. Um, (laughs) This is is a spoiler discussion. You can't talk about what happens in this scene without spoiling the movie. But I feel like the knowledge of what happens isn't going to ruin the experience of watching the movie for the first time either. So I feel like it's so well telegraphed that you almost it, it almost spoils itself. And I don't think that diminishes it even slightly. All right. So in the in the pin ultimate scene, there's a that's the thing. It's it's hard to jump into it because like the 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 gun tumor that he has pulled out of his chest orifice he uses to shoot a guy i believe the proper the proper term for that is stomach vagina i believe that is the uh (laughs) the correct terminology for the movie yeah i'm gonna avoid that terminology i prefer (laughs) belly vulva myself but whenever i look it up online it's always stomach vagina i prefer belly vulva myself (laughs) This is where we're at with this movie. We've yeah. not even scratched. I the think. I think that surface. you you cannot watch. You can't talk about Videodrome without talking about that aspect of the movie. But go on. I interrupted you. Uh, oh my god. Okay. So he he shoots what we could reasonably interpret as the mastermind behind the the evil use of Videodrome. Yeah. And he doesn't just kill him. He like makes him mutate in this horrific way. And his body rips itself apart as he gurgles over a loudspeaker. And then in the ultimate scene, he finds a shipyard and either hallucinates or finds a television there in which his lover who has now transcended the mortal coil and become one with the new flesh tells him to destroy his body so that he can do that too. And he, we see that. And then we see the, the television he sees it on explode and organs fly out. And then we see that exact same scene play out, except instead of seeing him pull the trigger, we just get a a cut to credits. So it's unclear whether like exactly what happened there. We hear the gunshot. We hear the gunshot. We hear the, we hear the gunshot, but like, is that moment when he kills himself the apotheosis that created the movie that we watched within the fiction of the film? I think that that is the reveal that that uh, that he's been conned and he just shoots himself and dies. Like that is my. Uh... See, but that's. I don't know because the thing is, it's about living on through television and being yeah. someone who goes out and shoots a bunch of people and then lives forever through television is pretty spot on (laughs) i would i would i agree with that that would be very poetic but the thing is this whole movie is shown from the perspective of the james wood character the max character i see you're saying that yeah and so and so really live on but yeah as a television image but so when he shoots himself it fades to black and so clearly he dies and clearly there's no there's no transformation to be seen. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. I misunderstood so, you at first. Yeah. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. Unless, well, that's the thing you're thinking about this in, 
you're thinking about this too third dimensionally. You have to okay, think okay. about it fourth dimensionally because it doesn't matter if he physically dies. What matters is we got to watch him, and he yeah. is more real for us than he will ever be for himself. I see. That's the, well, the I think, oblivion. I think. I think. I think the question, you know, how do you interpret this, and what do you think this means? Having watched this movie many times, it's a movie where there's just layers, and I see yeah. it differently every time I watch yeah. it. So I feel like it's an impossible question. Because it's like it's, I I just I I don't know I don't it, feel like you can they I don't feel like there is one thing going on behind the surface and if you puzzle it out you're gonna find it I think it's deliberately. You're speaking like a man who's trapped in the old flesh, Adam. Well, I think so. I think that's uh, well. One thing I will say is that this is a very nuanced exploration of these ideas. It's probably more nuanced than we're accustomed to dealing with now because we tend to simplify things a lot in in movies and this is this is not a simple message and it and it's it's complicated by the fact that it kind of has these two factions but it's really not and it presents them as good and evil kind of but it's really not clear that i would disagree strongly with that i don't think this movie has any sense of good and evil at all really i mean it's really super super complicated i mean like no i agree like with that Woodchuck, but what i just the protagonist and he's a total sleazebag but, i mean he's I not necessarily evil but he's totally immoral he doesn't just doesn't care and I, that's I, our hero <laughs> i agree with you that, that that ultimately these are not good and evil but i think it's sort of to the initial viewing the 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 imagery that they use for like um the oblivion uh office where the woman the, what's the the woman's name the daughter of professor oblivion um something oblivion uh let's see here bianca oblivion which bianca. is a great name uh for the kind of movie it is but she's got all of this religious imagery in her office and it's all like righteous stained glass windows and pictures of saints and things like that do you know what i mean and 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 so i feel like they kind of present her as more of the and and she frames her own. Position. Someone who says she's basically using TV to indoctrinate all these people in I, some again, weird I'm, way, I, and it's like I don't know. There's something really sinister going on. No, in that th- there is. I'm not saying there isn't, but what I'm saying is, you're presented with these two sides, and that side is presented as this is the they're the ones that are using the more righteous language for what they stand mm-hmm. for. And the I other... disagree strongly okay. because you've got you've got her who's you know oh she's helping the poor but she's also completely trying to brainwash them yeah. and then you've got the other side uh, what's his name Barry Convex he is outraged by pornography and wants to basically like eradicate all these people that would watch this filth which ironically at the same time he's making snuff films to eradicate pornography yeah. and, and and they're and they're making missiles for like na- missiles guided systems yeah. for nato My and point stuff is, though, yeah he is very self-righteous though he is on this crusade of goodness to eradicate no. these horrible things from the world too so it's like they're both there's just these two factions that both come off as really creepy and up to something but both are convinced that they're doing these wonderful things. Well, I think that's the conclusion that you're supposed to have. But what I'm saying is I think that the viewer is expected to maybe, maybe like be more sympathetic to the oblivion side initially than the, I don't know. I just feel like the way that he's presented, he's sort of 
looks like a villain to me. Do you know what I mean the? Um, oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, and and there, she there looks are, more, and, and yeah. she's helping the poor. And again, like you said, there's more to it than that. But it's just the initial presentation is, oh, this is visually. I'm getting like these are the good people and these are the bad people initially. And then underneath that, as you watch the movie longer and as you think about it more, it's clear that what they're doing is they're both doing nefarious things. Um, but I feel like there is something important about that initial sense of these look like the bad guys and these look like the good guys. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. I know, Joel, you haven't said anything, so I'd be curious what your thoughts are on the on the moral landscape. Well, here's the thing. I, I think you both have really solid points here, but you're also neglecting to realize or neglecting to point out the sort of transcendent aspect of the Deborah Heavery character because she dies really early in the film, but she's present she, through the whole thing. She dies the, before the we meet her, that character, right? Uh, no, no, she, we, we meet her. No, but... James Woods dates her for a while. But they but they tell him that... Uh, well, unless they're lying to him, uh, Bianca Oblivion says that she died and that they used her image to seduce... Like, I, I believe she says that she died before he met her. Was, no, I don't think so. No, I mean, I, he, he, died, he meets I, her. He meets her for sure. I mean, it's it's the, the basically the image when she, you know, he sees her on the TV after she goes off to Pittsburgh. I think yeah. he's she's referring to that. Like, I, I would I would I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. But I because I because when I watched it a second time this time, because I, I made a point of watching it twice. And <laughs> my reading of it was that she died before they met. And it's reinforced by the fact that when you first see her, when she's first introduced and granted, this is true of a lot of characters. It's as an image on the TV screen, even though she's right there in the background, because you see her face a on the lot camera. Of other people interact with her, though. Like she's she, we get introduced to her in a talk show where there's several other people, and she also has a radio program where several people are talking. But we to don't her. know if any of that's real because that's after that's he's seen video drill. I I think that's quite a stretch. I mean, I'm not saying I, that's not a, an interpretation. I, you can I have. would I'm just saying that I don't feel like that's. I don't think the movie is like. I, that I way could have mi- I, cu- I could have misinterpreted what they said, but my reading sure. of it, if I understood it, was that they had met, that that she had died a long time before they met. And... Anyway, it, it's actually irrelevant to my point. Okay. If she's never alive or not when we meet her, because the important point is that even after both of the factions have exhausted each other, like and killed one another. Uh, or have gotten to the point where they've attempted hmm. assassinations with various degrees of success, so they should be more accurate. He's still, like, going on this journey. Like, his experience is transcendental, you okay. know? And so she's like this spirit animal for him. And she's the one that really guides his trajectory, far more than anything else. It, his his declaration isn't for the Oblivions at the end. He says, long live the new flesh. That's the philosophy he was lacking at the beginning the movie and he ends the movie by fully committing to it transcending like physical reality is but that's like the philosophy the oblivions about. want him to embrace right because that's what she says to him in the office i mean like that's the thing he granted brian oblivion did die believing that at the same way but i don't know i don't know 
like that's like, the thing. I feel like there's there's something kind of like religious about the way the Oblivions. Oh, work. there, there I mean, is the transcendental the, thing is something that's well, kind of like okay. The difference between a church and like a religious experience, it's well, like that gulf. So number one, like I said before, her office has all that religious iconography, and I think it's yeah, for a reason. Yeah, and so, but number two, the thing she says to him is, I, I I don't know if I have the phrasing exactly right, but it's something like the you're the video word made flesh. And the word made flesh in Christianity is Jesus Christ, right? So, like, there's definitely a religious, you know, almost messianic kind of thing going on with his character. However, what I think is happening is I think that's the promise that he's that he's been sold by the tube. Do you know what I mean? That's what he. That's but you're not talking like a true believer. No, there. I'm not you're a true believer because right in the end, he shoots himself in the head and it fades to black and. There's no, you know, there is no transcendence. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's my, so that, and again, that's I, I why think I think it's kind of watching the savior and the prophet of the new flesh. That's the, that's the proof. Proof's in the pudding. See, that's, that's where I think I, I would agree more with Adam's overall analysis, which is that both of these sides are ultimately trying to manipulate. I mean, they're trying to manipulate Max, but ultimately they're trying to manipulate all of humanity. And yeah. they're I mean, selling. Basically, it's a it's a conservative kind of evil versus a liberal kind yeah. of evil in conflict with yeah. one another is what we're looking at. Here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really feel like the the genuine transcendence is a third faction, though. Like I don't want yeah, that. No, shit. I mean I, they're I definitely. I don't. Feel like I think, I don't I'm not completely them. disagreeing with that. The potential that there's something else going on in there too. But I'm just talking about those two factions in of themselves. But uh, sure. I need to think more about the whole actual transcendence thing right because i think that there's a legitimacy to that even with an unreliable narrator because that seems to be the philosophy of the movie that people are more like and that's the creepy idea of it and you actually kind of scratch on that a little bit when you were talking about watching it a vhs the creepy idea of it is that you are seeing something that has that kind of magic to it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not just that we're seeing a movie where a guy goes crazy and kills himself we're seeing a movie where a guy has achieved immortality by going crazy and killing himself because we are seeing it on a video. I, I would, is I, the video. Drama. Okay, so I would agree with everything about that, except I would add the word, a guy who thinks he's achieved immortality. That, that's, that, that's, that's the thing. It's not actually a creepy idea philosophically unless you're willing to have that moment. Like, it's kind of like, like the Blair Witch Project in that, where, of course, that's a fake movie and nothing really really bad in the woods looking for the Blair Witch but that moment when you can kind of push beyond your your rationality a little bit and swallow the idea that maybe that really happened and there was some genuine element to it that's what made Blair Witch magical and it's the same way yeah. with this movie it's that moment where you're like holy shit I'm not just watching a movie I'm watching the philosophy of the movie declare itself through my my, my TV screen that's but what's the philosophy that it's declaring well, that's the thing that the movie continually points out that people watch Videodrome, they go crazy because they start hallucinating these horrific images then they die. But that's OK, because you're only really alive. You're more alive, as a matter of fact, whenever someone sees you on a videotape and it, it actualizes that by making the main character go through that. But while we're watching it, we're also slowly seeing all these horrific things through his eyes. But doesn't that, because I mean, Videodrome is basically a stand-in for television, right? Like that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's all of, you know, so television, the media and all that stuff. So doesn't it ultimately mean, whichever one it is, whether he kills himself and there is no transformation or whether he succeeds and there is this, 
transformation that you're talking about. Both of those sound like he's been duped to me. Do you know what I mean? Both of those sound like undesirable outcomes. And that's the thing. I agree that they are undesirable. That does not necessarily make them like untrue. And that's no, what's and, creepy about it. And and again, this is an extremely subjective film, so I don't think that there is one right thing. I mean, right down to the fact that like, like, I, like the eye is like the symbol of the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like the like one of the bad guys actually is uh like they what is it they have like a, a eyeglasses shop or an eyeglasses mm-hmm. manufacturing place and their their name their last name is convex do you know what i mean and, and 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 the tv is bulging out like an eye when he sinks into it in that that famous scene um even though it's it's got lips on it you're right it does have like a an ocular it's thing. got an I, oc- I also yeah. i would like to point out that as i was talking and getting more fiery eyed uh, Adam has got this body language like I didn't realize this was his actual religion. <laughs> <laughs> but not more than you could chew, eh, Balderstone? Welcome to the new flesh. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, I'm honestly not surprised. But no, I mean it's once again, it's it's a case where I, like I said, I, I there isn't one interpretation I have of this anyway. So it's hard for me to get too passionate about any particular viewpoint because i think there's there is a lot of ambiguity to a lot of this stuff but uh but yeah i don't know i i i still i still have to come down on the side that like nikki debbie harry's character that she is alive at the beginning of the movie i okay. well well i well clearly i'm outvoted in this conversation that on that point again. i just have um, to weigh in on that since i didn't fully weigh though, in though i do intend to resolve it later i will i will right, try to get we'll confirmation one way or the other but if i'm wrong i will a hundred percent admit I was wrong. If I Cronenberg on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interestingly in the, uh, in one of the cuts of the movie, there is actually more of her character. I've seen more, I've seen three versions of this movie, but uh, this is like the theatrical release that we watched. But uh, yeah, there's uh, she actually comes back later in uh, another. In the, well, in and there the were a TV bunch of different version. endings they had planned too, right? Like they were, this wasn't the only ending that he had in mind when he originally was writing the script. There was, uh, yeah, but I don't I think, think they I, filmed the other ones. Um, no, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it's uh, no, yeah. Basically, it's a whole bunch because there's the there's the there's actually an edited for television version of this movie, which has a whole bunch of other scenes in it because there's a lot of scenes that are just not even going to end up on TV. Okay. But, so, uh, um, so okay, so well. Do you th- what do you think the overall message of the movie is? Let's kind of just focus on that rather than focus on analyzing, you know, what, you know, uh, the philosophy or what happened. But do you think that the, is there a message to this movie that's clear and concise or is it not that kind of a film? I think Cronenberg wants you to think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's his general thing with movies. He doesn't want to tell you, oh, this is what I'm saying, because I yeah. mean, it's really complicated because it's like. I mean, it's a similar thing with it, with existence too, actually, where you've got these ideas. There, I mean, basically, it's like Cronenberg is this director who does really controversial, upsetting stuff, but he doesn't completely invalidate the idea that you know the characters who are upset by this are wrong necessarily. Yeah. It's like he will examine that that. Yeah, it's like media can be harmful. It's not yeah. like he's like, oh, people who think media is harmful, it's a joke. But it's like there's 
there, there's this huge ambiguity in his well, work on that subject. And I don't think, I think, I think he's like, this is something we need to think about, but he's not trying to give you an answer on it. There's an interesting line in the movie where James Woods is kind he's like a sleazy producer who really doesn't have any beliefs. He just cares about money. Right. And getting, you know, and he wants to get, he wants shocking shows, but it's not even that he's interested in them artistically. Yeah. He just, he knows that they're going to bring people to the station, but that woman, um, what was her name? The older woman, uh, Masha, yeah, Masha, Masha. She's talking with him, and she's explaining to him why video drum is so dangerous. And she says, "You know, they have something you don't, which is what makes them so dangerous—a philosophy. And yes. if you just switch that out for ideology, you know, it, which I think is a fair, you know, swap out in terms of yeah. what they were meaning. Um, yeah. You know, she, clearly, it's it's kind of about propaganda, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and how, and not government propaganda, but just how, you know." the danger that he seems to be talking about with media is when it's used to manipulate people. Do you know what I mean? Not, mm -hmm. not, not, um, he, do he doesn't seem as critical of the James Woods. Here's some sex to excite people, but he's concerned about, here's some sex to manipulate people into doing something. Do you know what I mean? And there's a difference between those two things. Um, yeah. But the, of course, the guy who just wants money and whatever, and I just want to put stuff on to excite people and don't care at all. It's notable that he's the guy who gets manipulated yes, by every yes, action because yes. he has he is an empty shell that they can pour their put put their videotape inside. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> literally no, and he's so, not unscathed. Like he's not unexamined. It's just that he is yeah. less under the you know lens of the critique than. Um, you know this uh mr 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 Kovex or or uh, uh sorry convex and and uh and and professor oblivion um mm -hmm. which again one thing i want to comment on is just the wonderful names throughout throughout the movie yeah. they're they're all yeah, very well chosen the weird prescience whenever brian oblivion goes on and he says hey this isn't my real name this is my television name yeah. we'll all have these in the future all of us here with our twitter handles yeah. and everything like that we're like well i guess professor oblivion was correct well in the 80s yeah. that wouldn't have been that big of a leap because that was an age where everybody was kind of a character that was like the era of peewee herman and all of these comedians who became you know like the the human beneath them kind of got stripped out and they got turned into a character for like usa or whatever and i feel like that was kind of one of the hallmarks of that decade so but um but yeah i, th I think i think you're right about that that it's a uh, it is a little bit predictive because it's definitely where things like it's now it's not just the celebrities it's everybody kind of yeah, kind of has that yeah we'll um, all have them in the future uh, you're uh, right professor oblivion yeah Ugh, that's yeah. I, and I think he was supposed to be kind of a stand-in for Marshall McLuhan, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the. Uh, There's definitely an yeah. influence there, um, but it's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's once again too, you know, having the the having that name to kind of protect himself too. It's once again, it's like. I, going back to the internet as a metaphor, it's like I've always kind of made a habit of using my real name everywhere on the internet, going back to the '90s, because it prevents you from turning into a, a jerk because you're hiding behind a fake name. But it's like, it's really dangerous to be out there with your real name all the time on the yeah. internet. So having this fake identity is something you really want to have when, uh, when interacting with it. So I mean, it's an interesting observation there in the movie for something that wasn't even a thing yet. <laughs> so, um, so w why don't we talk about some of the, some of the big scenes that happen in the movie that people are just going to recognize from like clips they've seen in the cover 
and then maybe move into more discussion of the characters and the uh, um, where the line between hallucination and reality really is in the movie, um, which I don't think is 100% clear. But mm-hmm. so like the big scene, well, I, I don't know. There's a couple of scenes that actually might be iconic, but I think the biggest one everybody would know is him getting him. He's not really getting sucked into the screen as much as he's interacting with his girlfriend. Like he's getting, he's kind of like, he, he, he's basically trying to make out with her is kind of, and, and he, and, and the process is sort of, you know, his body is getting lost inside the TV screen. Um, you know, do we want to talk about that scene? Like, do you have, like, one of the thoughts I had was, you know, anybody who saw this scene in isolation and was like, oh, I hope that when I see this movie, that's going to clarify what is going on <laughs> is probably going to be very disappointed because it's not, it's not a clarifying scene in any way. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about the visual effects and also just the, the overall feel that that scene produces? Oh man, uh, the visual effects are pretty great. I especially like when he runs his hand over the top of the cabinet TV and it like bulges out with veins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a that's wonderfully unsettling. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love the the sounds <laughs> of that movie, the the horrifically erogenous groans that the television is making. Um, I'm not to this day certain how they got that effect with the screen bulging out and becoming like I, almost jelly-like. I think it's I looked at, projection, actually. Yeah. I think, I think it's it? like, a, like it is actually a screen being blown out it, and there's something projecting onto it from inside the TV. That's it, that's my impression because it looks fat like a fabric when you kind of look at it in, in, a, in high resolution. I noticed that actually a lot watching it in, in 4K this time. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a screen. It's a dental dam. <laughs> Is what they used. They used dental oh, really? damage. Yes, which, which is actually really interesting given what he's doing in the scene, yeah. right? Like, you know, and and because I I found an interview where um I, I God the the name of the the guy who did the special effects I just lost, but um uh you know maybe Adam can find it, but it's uh he was talking about how they used dental dam and it and allowed him to kind of interact in a very you know like you know sensual way with the screen. And so, you know, it's kind of appropriate given given what's going on. And again, I, I think that scene is one of those scenes that, like, for me, is a, another argument for why practical effects were so great versus a lot of the CGI yeah. stuff. Because you couldn't, you wouldn't have that sense that he's actually getting sucked into and touching the screen and that there's a real physical connection between him and whatever has become of Deborah Harry's character at this point. Um but also, that's a you know just a really cool effect, like you guys were saying. Of the the the, the top of the of the TV is kind of I don't know exactly what it's doing, but it's very organic looking, and it and it uh, and it and it definitely has an a you know it, it's there's some kind of erogenous zone existing on that um on that on that TV surface, um, and it, and I I feel like too like Existence seems like 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 I haven't seen Existence in a long time. But all of my visual recollection of that movie is very much similar to the stuff that goes on with television sets in this uh, in this yeah. film. Um, so, uh, and I guess the other scene which we we alluded to earlier is there's a, James Woods' character Max talks about a rash that he's developing, and then they have this famous scene where he's got no shirt on, he's got a gun, 
and a slit forms in his stomach and everybody calls it the stomach vagina that's why i was calling it that um which is basically what it is i mean it's that's what you know i don't think you can really say it's not meant to be something akin to that yeah. in uh and then he starts putting his gun in it and then the gun gets sucked in and the the hole closes up and his gun is a you know it's a weird scene but uh you know what were your thoughts on that scene this time around I think I think you missed the key moment that worked for me the first time I saw that scene, mm-hmm. which is after that all happens. Suddenly he has this panic and he's yes. like looking for the gun. It's like the gun's got to be here. I was hallucinating. But yeah. where is the gun? He's like looking under the couch cushions. Yeah. And that was the first time I saw it. That was the moment that freaked me out. I was just like, oh, my God, that just felt so real, like yeah. like a reaction someone would have of having this Ugh. weird event happen to them and that that just made made this completely bizarre scene seem like something that actually happened and that's the thing it's not clear whether or not it happens because he seems to be able to strategically produce that flesh gun from uh-huh. himself later on and then hide it in the same way and kill people with it mm-hmm. in his role as like an assassin and you're left questioning, like, wait, if this is his hallucination, how is he doing that? He's it, it, Does he just have a gun somewhere that we're not seeing? Are we seeing his interpretation of this? Or, like, is there some reality, or there's some truth to the fact that he's changing reality with his hallucinations? Well, It's really unsettling to think about. Well, one of the, just, one of the people that he kills is named Moses, which is kind of interesting. So it's sort of like he's a Jesus figure, and he kills Moses, so it's like a rewriting of the, of the law, right? But, like, number two, I kind of wonder... Is the gun itself a hallucination because um, there and again, this might just be editing issues more than anything. But there are a lot of scenes after he after the gun, uh, which we should probably talk about that separately. But I just uh, just to foreshadow that discussion after the gun merges with his hand in that really creepy way. There are a lot of scenes where you see him with both hands and there isn't a gun in either of them. Um and so it makes me wonder if he even has a gun at all, um, and if he even really kills anybody. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, exactly. it's got yeah. the same American Psycho question: Did he really kill yeah. anybody? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. How much of this is pure fantasy? It, I feel like the movie makes it pretty clear whenever there's some like pure fantasy versus there's some. But like, then I'm I'm kind of hurting myself because there's points where it's clear that he's either hallucinating or reality has come horribly unglued and people die. And then what really happened? Yeah. So like at sometimes I'm like, Oh, it's clear that he's hallucinating here, but then, then there'll be consequences. Like Adam was saying, like he loses the gun in hallucination and it's, it's gone. Like it, it is gone. He can't find it. Yeah. And then he produces that same gun and shoots people with it later. Yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah. the part that kind of sells me on the idea that the gun is not real is when he slaps, um, I forget her name, but his secretary, he slaps oh, her yeah. twice. And in one of the slaps, she becomes Deborah Harry very suddenly. But then he says, I'm sorry for hitting you. And she says, oh, you didn't hit me. Um, ah, but I will use that against you. Okay. The gun okay. scene, we have a hallucination where he he puts the gun inside him. And when 
the hallucination is over, the gun is really gone. Whereas with the slap scene, when the hallucination is over, he didn't slap her and she doesn't know what happened. So it's actually the complete opposite Unless, thing. But, but one, here's one a, establishes that it's a hallucination and one establishes there there was a consequence here. But but what I'm wondering is about, because the first time we see the gun, it's kind of a really weird scene without any explanation, right? He just unwraps that gun and it makes me wonder if he even has, you know what I mean? Like He has the gun... Like he has the gun for a while. Like when the first time, like you know, the the his assistant comes by. I yeah, think yeah. It's like he has to hide the gun and everything, and so the gun's floating around for a while before you know the scene on the couch. But that. But what I'm saying is that doesn't mean it's not a hallucination. Do you know what I mean? Like it. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose because it's a very old timey gun. It's very. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about guns, so maybe I. You know, maybe it's perfectly within the time frame. But it just. It just. It, that gun looked like it had a story and there was no story given around the gun. Do you know what I mean? Like, though, I, I, so I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm just a little skeptical that he might even have a gun. But like you're well, saying, it's... get shot with a gun and he's involved in those scenes. Those people are really dead to everyone else, not just him. So like, that, yeah, but, like, but, but, where but we're like, seeing everything from her perspective, from his perspective. So if, well, I guess the question is, if he doesn't kill anyone and the gun isn't real, does he shoot himself in the head at the end? How does your theory that he's really dead I hold up? Then, then I guess I, <laughs> I, I guess I would have to see it through to the end and say no, he doesn't. That would be the yeah yeah that that would that would kind of it would kind of upset my analysis of the final portion of the film uh, for sure. It's a good, good question. Yeah. I like that you. I like that you're going down that road. It's it's, it's an interesting question, but I. Uh, well, and this is why this movie is so good because yeah. you don't you don't I don't think like this is the kind of movie that you watch and you could have this kind of discussion all night and like you would argue vociferously for a position and you know the you know you might be wrong in the end because there's so many yeah, well, things. That's why to, earlier I was saying. What's my interpretation isn't a question I necessarily yeah. like to answer about this movie because it's you're you're not standing on solid ground yeah. wherever you are with this movie. Yeah. So <laughs> standing on the new flesh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um we but yeah, talk about the scene where it fuses with his hand. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's like the that's almost yeah. the payoff to the earlier. It's scene, one of the best know? scenes in the movie for sure. Um, the, the the gun it it grow they look like. They look like really thick, like tubes with that that are almost reminiscent of of stubby screws. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they just yeah. I don't know how to describe them, but they're perfect. And and they they drill into his arm and his hand, and the gun becomes one with his with his body. Um, and and uh and 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 it's and it's echoed later when the hand extends out of the screen, and she says, "Videodrome is death," and it shoots him and then that somehow deprograms the videotape that uh that uh convex put into his uh, into his belly um but yeah i don't know what did you guys think of the of the gun what do you what would you call it the gun merging scene uh i don't i don't want to put a name to the act i witnessed on film you know I mean, like gun molestation is that cuz it feels like the gun is violating his body the, and that's yeah yeah i would like agree humorous the way it grows into him and it's also like forceful like this like physically violent act um well i think that's part of the point i think the i think he's kind of equating tv with that to an extent do you know what i mean like the idea like 
like I, you know i don't know there, uh, it might be above my pay grade but like i just feel like there is definitely a lot of phallic imagery and a lot of you know what's the opposite of phallic imagery but whatever you know uh you know image imagery of lack right imagery of lack um so uh but yeah it's it's a very disturbing scene just 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 from the the I don't know the digging into the that 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 part of the hand like if any I don't I'm sure you guys when you were kids had it, you know cuts and scrapes on that part of your palm that's just a very sensitive area so it just was I thought it was a very effective decision to have oh, yeah. that be where it drills through um, yeah it, it really it stabs them right in the tinder bits of the hand. Like that's, yeah. if I can think of the most vulnerable part of my hand, that's probably it. That's like yeah. the thing. And that's the thing I want least to happen to it is two huge metal spikes to just drive themselves <laughs> through that and up my arm nerves. Ah, that's so gross and horrible. I love it. So, um, um, but yeah, so, uh, I don't know, Adam, any thoughts on that scene or, Oh, nothing that's really okay. already been brought up. Yeah. Um, so what about uh, the... Well, one thing I wanted to talk about was... Deborah Harry's in this movie, which is kind of notable. She's Blondie. And, I mean, I know she's been in... That's the band name, not... not no, but that's also the character name. That's like, you know, that's like the character name for the... I, like, her name is Deborah Harry, but when she was in Blondie, she was... Everyone called she, her Blondie. Well, no, well, not just that, but she was adopting a persona that wasn't Deborah Harry. Do you know what I mean? Like, like she's commented on this in a lot of interviews where, mm. you know, she, you know, I don't know if the, I don't know if she was literally credited as Blondie in the, in the thing, but, but I know that there was a, there was a personality to her, to her presence on stage that was linked to the Blondie name. Um, but either way, you know, you know, I, I have deep affection for Blondie because when I was a kid, that was the first music I ever discovered. And so, like, my parents had a Blondie's Greatest Hits album or, I don't know, it might have been, um, what was the album? Auto America, it might have been that. I, I don't recall. But I used to I used to play it over and over and over again in the headphones when I was, like, eight. And so anytime I see Blondie in a movie, it's like it, it triggers something. Um, yeah. But I'm curious because Joel didn't grow up with that. I assume. Wait, 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 wait. I, I did actually. My okay. Mom was a okay. Huge Blondie fan. Okay. Actually, she's my favorite female vocalist. So okay. Don't give me that. I, All right. I, 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 I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't know assume. Some of the most obscure roles in film, including the notable, hideously Canadian movie Rock and Rule, where she, uh, where she voiced uh, <laughs> All right, so, uh, an anthropomorphic, I, post-apocalyptic magical singer. I've clearly underestimated Joel's Blondie expertise, so I will <laughs> seek his forgiveness now. Um, <laughs> The Church but, of the New Flesh forgives your sins. <laughs> so, so, but how'd you guys? What did you guys think of her in this role? Because I thought I thought she, number one, she's not that. Uh, she's not really an actress normally. You know, I mean, that's not like her primary thing. But she's uh, been in a couple of horror movies, though. Yeah, but but if she, I thought that she did a really good job here. I agree. I think she. I think she's perfect. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's hard to imagine anyone else in the part because she. Uh, she just kind of nails it. Yeah, she's had a good chemistry with James Woods too. Um, yeah, this was a challenging role, and I think she really sells it in a way that's. It's. And I don't want to reveal too much about my personal life, but I, I know a reasonable amount of women that act like the Deborah Harris character in this movie. And yeah, she pretty much nails it. I don't know how much of that's true to life, Deborah Harry. I know that she, she had a couple of rough years after Blondie. Um, 
but but yeah, she definitely well, gets into this character in a way that's very well, organic well, and believable. Well, something about I know that um, that she actually took a break from celebrity uh, at the time when her career was really taking off in order to care for her then boyfriend who was very mm. sick. That was why there was a big hiatus for the band and uh, and so I mean I, I you know she I don't think she's like I think her personality in the Blondie. And I, and I say Blondie, I'm just referring to her persona on stage as yeah, the, yeah, the band yeah. leader. Well, yeah. But I think those are two different things. But I think this film makes very good use of the Blondie persona because they need somebody that you're automatically going to be like attracted to but slightly afraid of. Do you know what I mean? Like there's an intimidating quality to Blondie because it's Blondie. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, she's yeah. not the girl next door. And so I think I that's, you know, and, the, and James Wood's character is supposed to be having that reaction to her because she's slightly more advanced than he is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, in terms... she's a little bigger than he is in terms of just like her personality and her appetites mm-hmm. and everything and yeah. her bravery. Like she's, there's more to her. And he, he kind of reacts the same way I would react if Deborah Harry was saying this to me. It's just like, well, okay, let's just keep going, I guess. Oh, my God, the cigarette. Okay, that's going to happen. Just going to keep yeah. powering through that. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the thing, too. It's like, you know, I mean, you know, Max, like, he's he's interested in this video. He's like, oh, this is something crazy I could put on the air. But it's like she's actually drawn to it yeah. in a way yeah. that he isn't. And it's it, it's it's a, a big, big change there. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean. That's kind of why I don't like the idea that she's already kind of a tool at that point, because I think the fact she's drawn into it is a genuine reaction. You know, okay. I mean, I feel like her reaction right. that first scene where he shows her the tape is yeah, something she's like that's her seeing it. it for the first time. And it just that scene doesn't work the same if she's already some hallucinatory tool already. Okay. I, I don't know. Here's to the me, thing. It, if if we go with an, uh, the kernel of my interpretation, where there's a true transcendence to this new flesh video drum stuff, she's got to be kind of in the role of Mary. Yeah, uh, I, I, thought, I was thinking about that. She's like Mary, in, in or she's the Holy Spirit, or something, right? <laughs> yeah, because she she has an actual divine experience, and sort of like in a in a way that sort of precedes our Christ character in the the bold Max Wren. So. That's how I would. Uh, that's how well, I would interpret and that. She, and she guides him. She got. She kind of births him into the. You know, if we if we accept your, you births him into this next stage of, you know, the word becoming flesh or whatever it is that's happening to him. Um, or well, the, the new word flesh. becoming the new yeah, flesh. Yeah, the new. Yeah, well, you know, whatever that is. You know, she is uh, facilitating that, like in a mother, and also in that last scene, she has motherly expressions. I think on the screen. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. Is- Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say an interesting, an interesting note in the performance that she gives too is during the scene, you know, we see we have like one clip we see where she's actually in the Videodrome room where we actually see her there, and she there is just this look to her like she is actually realizes she's out of her depth. I think that was my interpretation. Okay. Of it there. And okay. that that kind of puts everything in this really creepy kind of thing. It's like, did she? You know, is she is is she someone who just transcended into this thing she wanted, or you know, did she realize she was kind of out of it? And you know, and what we see at the end, where she is this figure guiding Max, it is not the real her. It's uh, I I don't know. It's it's it is there's there's an ambiguity. Just that short clip gives us, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah, and we're not sure how much, even if there is some kind of true transcendence to the Videodrome experience, it's not clear if it's just devouring people or not. 
Well, yeah, yeah. It might be. <laughs> well, I think the and the idea. So the idea that the professor buys into, at least, that Joel's sort of expanding on here, is that that physical death doesn't matter because once you've sort of transcended onto the screen, you're immortal in some way. And even if that's not literally true, I think we've all had the experience of watching like a an interview with somebody who's no longer alive. But while you're watching that interview, mm-hmm. it's really hard to imagine that person is dead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a there's something like going on in your brain that just can't can't accept that if you're seeing this person speaking and thinking and moving on the screen that they're they're no longer around. So there is this there's this sort of I know the person's dead, but I don't really believe that they're dead kind of thing that goes on. And I feel like that's sort of what Professor Oblivion's philosophy is embodying. That's the creepy idea of the movie. It basically Mm -hmm. posits, and there's like, I'm sure there's some deeper philosophy behind this that I don't feel like getting into in any specific detail, but it basically posits that our experience with people, the, the sound and the light of them that our brain interprets as them is just as real whether it's coming from an actual human being or a television screen beaming into our brain. It, it goes even further. It basically says that all that exists is our perception, right? Right. Like, that, like that's, that, that's stated it. a couple of times in the movie. And, and so to be alive on the screen and to be able to be like rewound and watched again and again gives you that sort of immortality in a very real way according to the, philosoph- the philosophy of the movie. And again, remember with Cronenberg, the, the transcendental is the physical. Yes. This is all in our brains he's talking about. And because yeah. it's got that kind of like philosophical and scientific like core to it, there's something mm. eerily compelling about it. It's very compelling, but here's the flaw, I think, in that thinking, which is that, yes, it achieves a type of immor- immortality, but only in the perceptions of other people, not in your own perception. Your own perception sure. vanishes oh, yeah. your and you're dead. Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the thing it does destroy people like their identities their perception have to end for that to begin so so you know yeah so i think um you know on a couple of levels there's like an identity death but there's also like literal you know you're not you're not around like you know you you know to the world you might be but to you you're you're not so you know which is in the end i guess the question is which one of those things matters more you know which Um, one is more real and like The, the movie seems to posit that the real thing is the audience's interpretation. And I actually think that's kind of a cool thing for a movie to say. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously, as the as the movie can easily be read as, you know, a you know, a if you if you go go and kill a bunch of people, you get to live forever on TV. And how many people buy that? It's like it's an entirely valid philosophy that, that an unfortunate number of people actually are willing to carry through on. So it's like, yeah, to me, I'm like, yeah, it's not a good deal. Not that I really want to go around and shoot a bunch of people anyway. But, uh, but yeah, it is something that people in the real world... You sound like world... a man struggling with your faith, Adam. <laughs> well, you know. Right? But, you uh... must obey the demands of the new flesh. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm just saying that it, it's... I mean, to a lot of people, being immortal through other people's memories is worth giving up their life for, so... In, in multiple ways, not just the mass killer way. So, uh, you know, mass murderer situation. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is, I, it's, it, it is a, a questionable philosophy, but it's one people will go with. 
Yeah. yeah, something doesn't have to be necessarily ethically or in any way factually true to still be like compelling and fascinating. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing about it. It's convincing in a way that doesn't really convince you that it's good, just that like it might have a point. It's like nihilism in that regard, where sure, no one likes the ideas of nihilism, but the thing that makes that philosophy compelling and kind of hypnotic is that it's hard to totally refute it. There's enough kernel of truth there that like it, it kind of draws you in. Yeah. Um, and this this movie's kind of the same way in that regard. So so just speaking of it strictly as a horror movie, um, what do you think's effective about this film? Like like all the messaging aside, like this movie also could just be experienced, you know, at the visceral level of the psychological horror that's going on. And I find it to be one of the most most effective horror movies at seeing somebody lose control of their body and mind in the way that he does and yeah just, you know, talking about just the body horror aspect well the body I mean, horror, well, the well, not just the body horror the psychological <laughs> horror and the the inability to distinguish reality from fantasy and yeah. um you know it just seems like it's that kind of thing where there are a lot of scenes where it's like he wakes up and he's in a bed and there's might be a dead body next to him that kind of a thing yeah. these are horrifying yeah. moments in the movie well, like I said, the, the scene where he's looking for the gun the first time yeah. I watched it, that was the moment that really horrified me. I was just like, oh, my God. It yeah. just And, and it I think going... we've all had, like, we've not, obviously not had that experience, but we've all had that moment of realization like he's having that something that you thought was there wasn't or awesome. something that should be there that's protecting you isn't or something that you were supposed to not lose under any circumstances you've somehow lost um that was a very real reaction and it was very relatable um so i agree with you that scene definitely stands out i think that again the other one is the one where uh masha is tied up in his bed next to him and then you sure. know she vanishes and uh you know the other one would be when he slaps uh the secretary and then he's like well wait what just happened um mm -hmm. And then, you know, it culminates in, you know, when he's like really off the rails and he's just going around doing things that don't seem to even be in line with his goals. It's just like he's, you know, he's become an assassin for, uh, I forget the name of the company that um, Convex controls, but. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten. They have a cool, creepy name, too, as I recall. Yeah, I really want uh, to find the name because it's uh, Spectacular Optical. That's the. That's, that's right. The... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so yeah, it, God, I it is scary. One of the scariest things to me is like the idea of like losing my mind or like not being able to rely on my perceptions. I think that's a yeah. genuinely frightening thought, and it's unfortunately something that I may have to face someday because dementia runs in my family. So that'll make these podcasts really spicy, folks. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's a frightening idea and not only does this movie show you a character that's going through it it kind of pulls you along for the ride in a way that is uncomfortably immersive yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. so i think it's very effective in that regard but even if you you're not cerebral enough to be scared by that the way it does the body horror is consistently surprising and shockingly so yeah. uh like um whenever uh whatever the uh the the hacker guy puts his hand into max's chest so he put in a new video and he pulls it out and it's what yeah. is it is it an egg beater I, what is that thing <laughs> I, that was a very like... peculiar scene I, I i'm not sure what that was but it was creepy it was definitely creepy it, it explodes like it's one of those old potato masher grenades from world yeah. war ii and utterly annihilates him but it's just like 
you're just left like, baffled by what you're seeing and yeah. horrified by just how immediate and and visceral it is. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of effective horror in this movie. It's creepy. What? There's enough of those like waking up from a dream moments that it's actually like it it connects with your real experience. It, it feels like you're going crazy while you're watching someone go crazy. Yeah. It's disgustingly horrifying body horror. It's really effective but it's, horror movie. But it's also subtle for all of its disgusting qualities because oh, it, yeah. it slowly lulls you in. Like you initially you just you you buy into the whole he's a producer at a TV station and this is like you know it just seems like all very kind of normal day-to-day type stuff that he's doing. Do you know what I mean? It's all interesting and compelling. Uh, but you almost think, oh, this is not even going to be a movie that has, you know, supernatural or bizarre things happening. And if they don't, that's fine. Um, but then as they yes. kind of impose themselves throughout the movie, it I don't know, it, it's done in an interesting way. It's, it had, like, like when I was a kid, I had night terrors for a little period, mm. and it felt like it's very reminiscent to me of the feeling of having a night terror or a horrible nightmare. It just is. Well, and Cronenberg's I, really good at. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go okay, ahead. Cronenberg's really good at, at providing these mental states and kind of putting you like go to jump to. I keep jumping to existence because I mean yeah. it, it's just because it is a similar movie from Cronenberg but there's a scene in that that always gets me it's like one where they're inside the game and then Jude Law's character is like you know I need to get out of the game for a bit and they get out of the game and they're in this bedroom and it's quiet and it's calm and it's like but somehow he just gives you that feeling and you know and and, and you know the other character she's like well it's She's like, see, nothing's happening. But yeah. just the whole way he makes that tonal shift of going from being in this game to the nothing happening in this, you know, quiet place out in the country. There's just this tonal shift that's so real that, it, I mean, it's it's a it's it's it would seem. I mean, it's just the way he does it is amazing to make yeah. this going to a quiet place something really jarring, even though you're going into quiet. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, I think. Um... Well, and I and again, I think I think the stuff that really kind of makes that work in this movie is how much I buy into this guy's regular life initially. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right down to him, like eating the slice of pizza. Do you know what I mean? From the previous night and, you know, all those kind of little details that don't seem important, but they sort of are what help get you into his shoes and. You know, the meeting with the Japanese pornographer guy, the uh, I don't know if he's a pornographer, but he's making some kind of softcore samurai pornography that James. I think he's credited as Japanese pornography. Is he? okay? so. um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, yes, that is. okay. okay. So (laughs) they didn't even give him a name. That's really, you know, uh, that guy deserved a name because there was a there. I was intrigued by the character but you, but then the movie just kind of moves on He's got his own, uh, own wikipedia page so uh he must but, be somebody but uh but but the, well, you know and then oh go ahead elected to the provincial legislature in ontario so, so that's uh, who he is okay so, he, <laughs> so i guess he was moonlighting as a as a as a character japanese pornographer yeah um so so yeah so uh i forget what we were talking about oh so yeah i agree with you i think i think he does a good job of that but but in this movie it just felt particularly effective because it all kind of builds up to the horror of it do you know what i mean it's that that uh you you won't buy the nightmare if you don't buy into the reality 
that the movie presents you with at first. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, and it's a very tightly edited film too, so it could have easily lost that somehow. Do you know what I mean? Just in you know the scenes, you know, being whittled down. So, um, so we didn't talk about James Woods yet. We probably should because that's obviously mm. an important reason for seeing the movie. Um, you know, he's very well cast. Uh, you know, any any thoughts on James Woods in this role? I mean, he's basically perfectly cast as a charming sleazeball, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, aside from, like, maybe Jack Nicholson, who might have overpowered the role, I can't yeah. think of anyone else that would have played here. I think James Wood is a much better choice. To, like, Jack Nicholson would have certainly been a box office draw at the time that this came out, but I feel like sure. James Woods is a, is, a, is a much better fit for the role. Yeah, like, because there's... There's a few actors who have that kind of presence where they're a real jerk, but you're like, oh, okay, but, but I love him. Yeah. And, uh, like, it's him, Jack Nicholson. Um... Did somebody freeze? Is Joel here? I think you. The guy ain't in Groundhog's Day, that fellow. Well, uh, I think you kind of cut off. Oh, did there, I Joel? freeze? Yeah. Guys. Yeah, we never heard who the third one was. You've been I think it was Bill Murray based on what he just said. Was it Bill Murray? It was Bill, okay. Bill Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill Murray, I mean, again, obviously he wasn't into the into the drama thing quite yet. Well, actually, this was around the time, same time Razor's Edge came out. Now I think about it, but uh, but but yeah, he actually might have might have been good in this. But but I know James Woods is just so perfect. I, I can't. It's hard to well, get past that. To go to go back to what Joel just said about him. I mean, I think the perfect role that expresses that is when he was in Casino as the pimp. And, you know, again, he's a character who's he's 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 not an appealing character. They make James Wood look as ugly as they can make James Woods look with the facial hair and everything. And he's sleazy. He doesn't offer anything to Sharon Stone's character except to take her money. He gives nothing to anybody. But oddly, you know, you, the viewer, understand why Sharon Stone is attracted to him and why, uh, you know, why, um, uh, you know the uh, what was uh, what was uh, Robert De Niro's character's name in that movie? Well, whatever his name was, why Robert De Niro can't compete with James Woods as unappealing and as ugly, and you know just as much of a jerk as he's supposed to be, and you know that. So James Woods is just that type of actor where he just has a, you know, he's a sleazeball like you're saying, but you still root for him somehow. You still kind of like him. He's likable. Um, <laughs> There's, he worms his way into your heart. He really does. And I don't know if maybe it's just the eyes. He's got, like, his eyes are very present. And he's able to, um, like, they don't move a lot. Like, he kind of has one expression with his eyes. But the rest of his face is so expressive that it kind of, like, bridges the gulf. And there's something about that in my brain where I'm like, I need to give this guy some money. I don't know why. <laughs> Like, if he asked, if he was like, hey, can you spot me $1,000? He'd be like, I'll take out a line of credit, buddy. No problem. <laughs> but I don't, there's just, I mean, in this role... The character has this enthusiasm for his job, too. Yeah. It's like, you know, he, he's excited about, fi- you know, it's like, like I said, he's completely immoral, but he's like really enthused about finding this thing that's going to get people to watch his late night station. And and it's it's engaging just because he's interested in what he's doing, which makes you interested in what he's doing. And and he's and, uh, transparent about what he's doing, too. He's yes. not he's not he's not dressing it up as anything else. He's not pretending to be somebody that's yeah. not. Even when he's on the talk show, he, you know, he's just kind of like, there's well, there's no hypocrisy to him at yeah. all. He's just yeah, he offers apologetics, but no excuses. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think the relationship with Masha 
does humanize him a lot because it, yeah. it suggests yeah. it suggests like a humanity to him where like obviously he's kind of being flirty and charming with her but it's more of like a playful thing and it seems like there's a pre-existing friendship there that's built on real human interaction and all those relationships with people are kind of like that until he gets yeah. involved with the creepy video drone yeah. people like people like this guy well yeah like his secretary when even when she's like abetting his escape from the murder um you know she she she's you know she says max in the tone of her voice you can tell like she says it in a very caring way she's not she's not accusing him of anything or judging him she's genuinely worried for him in that scene so that does help create this sense of you know even though he's a sleazeball there's something likable about him there's something you know he, yeah he's... his business partners too it's like there's kind of a camaraderie between yeah them. there's there's a really nice sense of relate pre-existing relationship between all the characters in this movie that, that that grounds it yeah i agree with that i agree up until the point when he shoots them then then, 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 then that probably the severs the uh i said pre-existing yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the look i don't know which one was moses and which one was what was the other guy's name rafa something like Raphael, that Raphael, i think was it Raphael? i don't know yeah. which one is which but the guy with the hair also that scene when he shoots them i know this was made i think before scarface so it's totally incidental but that looks a lot like the scene where tony montagna takes power from the other crime lord when he mm. shoots him in his boardroom and there's that mural on the wall or that painting in the wall or something there's maybe it's a poster i don't remember but it looks it's a very similar type of scene um hmm. but again it's got to be coincidence because they I, they came out like months apart from each other um, yeah they both came out 83 yeah so, yeah um but yeah so what about the uh i can't remember the character's name but his uh his pirate assistant that was 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 helping him to 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 get the the one who basically showed him the video yeah. drone the first time uh, around He's he's a an interesting kind of like traitor character because like he seems almost incidental at first. Like a lot of the characters in Max Ren's life seem just kind of like incidental to him, and then it turns out he's some pawn in this gigantic conspiracy. And it's it's interesting because like we really buy that he's this incidental dude that's just yeah. like really proud of his ability to pirate stuff. But then later on, you really buy him as a nefarious agent of this dark organization. It's yeah. it's actually a pretty well acted role. Well, and yeah. and when you go back and watch those earlier scenes, there's like tells, there's like signs. Of... Well, he never looks at the screen for yeah. one. Thing. He's never his back well, is and, always and, and he's got these odd that. expressions on his face away. from time to time. Do you know what I mean? That just you read them as just quirks of personality, but then you realize like, oh, those are reactions to things. You know, it's. It's uh, I, I like I like his pure judgment when he does his reveal too. He's just yeah. scornful of like what a terrible person, you know, <laughs> Max is and so on. It's like I said, the whole the whole like philosophy thing of these characters have a philosophy. He's a, he's a true believer, you know, in in uh, in the cause well, of, uh, of of I don't know of whatever his cause is. Well, and it's interesting because <laughs> he calls Max Patron, and all the times that he calls Max Patron leading up to that, it's kind of like this uh, quirky thing that he said. You know, I don't I don't know if it's supposed to do with his his uh, his like cultural heritage or if it's just a word he picked up that he just says, but it's kind of like a. I don't know, just like a gesture of friendship. But then when he says it in that scene, it's menacing. Do you know what I mean? Because he like, there's like a hook at the end of it or something. The way he says that word, it suddenly yeah. changes the nature of their relationship entirely. And and I, I that's one of the most that's one of the most interesting 
performances in the movie because it's like he's dripping with just like you said, just judgment. And he's got that whole thing where he, yeah, yeah, just like, you know, America's, he says like North America's gotten soft and the rest of the world is getting strong. And and it's like, he just builds himself up into this, like, you know, you can, you, you, you understand what that organization represents at that point. Um, And it's, it's very effective. Uh, But also that guy's been planted there for two years. Like that is deep, (laughs) deep cover. That was, you know, and and I think the movie did a good job of surprising you just as much as Max is surprised by it. You know, like it, again, it, though, we don't know if we're legitimately seeing what really happened too. And I, I yeah. do want to point that out. The unreliable narrator means he might yeah. be hallucinating that too, and yeah. even that is cool. Well, and here's some arguments for that being the case. the The grand villain that's organizing it on the other on the on the side of you know nato and evil or whatever it's supposed to be uh you know uh missile guidance systems and giving free glasses to 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 poor nations and uh he's he basically seems to only really operate a spectacle store right like that's that's a really weird sort of front it's weird to have apocalypse as your side hustle if you sell eyeglasses it it see because it it seems like okay if he is hallucinating it it kind of makes sense that maybe he just wandered into a an eyeglasses shop and he just is mistaking this owner he's just attributing these grand schemes to him because the only other like aside from the scenes where he's directly interacting with him when we see him interacting with that audience at the trade show he just looks like a guy who sells glasses he's not do you know what i mean he's not you know he says a few things that could be interpreted oddly like i know you and i know you and you know me and maybe that was like code for something but Mm -hmm. But other than that, he just kind of seemed like a, I don't know, I, I could see that being, uh, you know, Max is hallucinating that he's this nefarious person and he really is just selling glasses. And you know. I, I think, though, isn't he the head of the company, though? Like, not the store owner. He's like the head I don't, of the well, company. Well, company. I don't know how big that company is. That, I guess, is sort of one of my points of confusion. Is that a chain of eyeglass stores or is that just well, one they, shop? They make, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I mean, it is it is a question, but I... Uh... I but I I don't know I'm excited that was always kind of my impression that that I mean he wasn't just the you know local manager of that, okay. that store he is yeah. kind of a, once again too he's the guy at the you know at the actual convention delivering it too and uh, the, I don't know I don't know it is it is ambiguous of course. and he, and he looks very strange there's something very odd about the characterization of him that yeah. you know he kind of has like a I don't know, like a 1950s or 60s talk show host kind of look to him, or I don't know. There's just like a there's a look that is, um, or like a you know an old timey actor. Even even for like 1983, do you know what I mean? There, he feels a little bit old fashioned. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, I, I I I am unclear on how big that store is. But still, even if it's like, say, even if it's like a massive eyeglasses chain, that's kind of an odd, that's an odd thing to have attached to this global cabal of, you know, like, like they're kind of like the Illuminati or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, kind of. You know? It's a vague enough shadowy conspiracy that it's sort of like soft at the edges. Yeah. You're not sure. Like what its real goals are, who's really pulling the strings. Like visually. That... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, like, they just adds to that sense of how much of this is in Max's head, which is wonderful. 
Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like visually, an eyeglasses shop or an eyeglasses massive company makes sense, like on a symbolic level. Like, okay, I mm-hmm. can see why Max would attribute that to them, but it doesn't make sense when you think of like, wait, why is the government working with an eyeglass? Like, you know, why is you know why? Yeah, the the, the leap there is weird. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, lenses and optics do have a lot of potential uses and so on. I mean, the thing is, too, there's there's a sense there's something going on with those glasses, too. Like when he when he first walks out and meets Max, he's like, oh, those are our new models. You know, you're playing with dynamite there. And uh, there's, it's like like it's like I said, there is this, this implication there's more going on. I mean, I mean, possibly. But but wouldn't it make... they've got the whole weird vr headset thing that they've built too but see that's the thing if it was like a um like a computer company or a um you know or i don't know like a plane manufacturing company or something that was easy to sort of see the tie into the missile guidance systems that he talked about it would make sense but the the optical lens store and a missile guidance so that doesn't you know that seems like a more shaky it really clearly doesn't gel, and I think that's intentional. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying it's a fall. Movies, but well, like... I mean, yeah, because it is. It is. It also it's a front. Yeah, <laughs> it's one thing too. It's like your front shouldn't be. We're a company that makes missiles. You know, no, I mean, I guess that's true, but like, there's just something odd about it. I'll say that there's something odd yeah, about well, it's it. Yeah, well, it's definitely odd, but I feel like yeah, it's. I mean, it is this weird front for some strange conspiracy. So, and and obviously the optical thing thematically it makes sense very it's much like, so very much it thematically so. makes sense so like their front is thematically appropriate but doesn't give yeah. anything away to anyone. and and it invokes that illuminati eye which i think is helpful too yeah, that's so, true too you know, yeah so uh so i mean it definitely works for the movie i'm not not criticizing it i'm just making oh, no, it, it no. makes me it's, wonder it's a reasonable discussion yeah. point it, too, it makes me but, it makes me very much inclined to lean heavily into the idea that you know a lot of these things are just productions of max's uh you know unstable mind at this point you know yeah Um, actually you're kind of winning me over here and it's not just because of the the eyeglasses thing when you think about it these are canadian actors and they're they're clearly canadian in the roles too like the again the the pirate guy is a really good example of a guy where you're like okay you're definitely from ontario dude but he is genuinely menacing in this movie, and that is one thing no Canadian can truly. Well, I, I don't well, know. Got my dick into it. Yeah, take that, that Canada. But with both these movies, one thing to always keep in mind that's in Cronenberg's head is that both both of these movies were made fairly shortly after the MK yeah. Ultra revelations that the CIA was doing all these experiments in Canada on Canadians through fronts and stuff. So, you know, that is one thing that's being that's but with both okay. the company and scanners and with, with the optics. It's basically there there is this paranoia in Canada at the time yeah. that is actually justified and that's actually where a lot of this inspiration comes from you know what this is making me think i don't know why but we should definitely do jacob's ladder at some point i think oh uh, man i love that that movie yeah because that would be i i think i think that similar reasons for you know it, 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 it it's it's maybe uh uh more familiar territory for at least me and joel because we're more familiar with uh american stuff and so but uh but i think that uh um that is an interesting point because you are right like that would in that context it does make more sense that mm-hmm. that you know 
that 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 would be the case. I still like the idea though that he's. Uh, um, it's, <laughs> well, uh, once again, too. I mean, paranoia can go both ways. Yeah. It can be justified or unjustified. Yeah. So the you know saying that Canadians were paranoid about that kind of the thing actually could also fit into your theory mm -hmm. that he's just completely gone off the rails. So. Um, but yeah, so is there any, is, ooh, I'm trying to think of what, any, any other topics before we head out, if we, uh, if we've overlooked anything, we're already at an hour and 15 minutes actually, which is pretty impressive. Um, this movie will make you talk, dude. I, I don't, we could keep going, but I feel like we're finally reaching that point where we should probably just conclude this with our, a uh, good rap point, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so I've done, I haven't gone first yet, so I'll go first and I'll say, um, you know what? I'm, I'm probably wrong about that. I'm sure somebody who's been paying attention might be like, "Hey, wait, Davis, you went first in episode three. What are you talking about?" But uh, <laughs> I'm going to go know. back through all the podcasts <laughs> and check this. You know, people do crazy things. Um, but uh, I, I think this is a, 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 a one of the best horror movies that has ever been made. You re people should definitely watch it and know about it. Do you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. it's one of these films that I feel like. A lot of people now probably haven't seen. You know what I mean? Like, if you, know, I feel it's it's one of these movies. Like, like I'll often have conversations with people younger than me, and so and 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 as Joel just proved, a lot of times I'm this isn't the case because there are young people that know a lot about this stuff. But I'll often have conversations with people that are a little bit younger than me, and the cultural touchstones are different, and it's discombobulating it's disorienting and this is one of those movies where you mentioned like i had a conversation last night with a friend of mine who's not that much younger than me but still younger enough like 10 years maybe and he had no no knowledge of videodrome at all no knowledge of cronenberg actually and um wow. and i was like whoa you, you don't know the fly and you don't know this and you don't know that and i and and it was kind of like oh i i hope that this kind of film isn't vanishing from the public memory and then I did a Google on YouTube to see how much discussion there was of Videodrome. And granted, a YouTube search is not the most, you know, comprehensive thing in the world. And my Boolean skills might be very bad. But I didn't see as many things pop up on YouTube as I thought I was going to see. You know, I thought there would be like all kinds of documentaries, all kinds of reviews, all kinds of like... I thought big YouTube channels that cover movies would have discussions of it. Like, I thought there'd be, like, a Red Letter Media discussion yeah, of it. Yeah, you think that Red Letter Media and, and, and right. I don't think they ever covered it. And it's possible I, I just didn't find it. But, like, I, I was just surprised that there wasn't as much stuff on there. And, again, it could have been down to my search. But my point is I, I, I would encourage people to watch this movie because it's kind of an important horror movie. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I hope it's not being lost in the mix with time. Um, and also, you know, for all the reasons that we said, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a really enjoyable film. Um, but I'll, I'll give you guys the floor now. I just want to proselytize about the new flesh, so <laughs> I don't have a ton to say that isn't trying to convert for my faith here. So I'll, I'll admit to some bias. No, um, this is a movie that I've watched more times than I care to have counted. Uh, I probably watch it at least once a month to give you an idea for the last several years. I'm really in love with it, and I, I'm in love with it for, like, different reasons. Like, I initially got turned on to it because I was uh, really into the New World of Darkness, and it was recommended in one of the Promethean books. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's let's check out that. What's body horror all about? And that was back in the time of my life when I was getting into stuff like Junji Ito 
and um, uh, that was back whenever I was first getting introduced to David Lynch. And so this kind of like came in on that wave. The I guess you call it a wave of mutilation because I was also listening to a lot of Pixies at the time. Um, and so I watched this, and I when I started investigating Cronenberg, I also saw stuff like uh, Scanners, of course, but also The Fly, which I watched when I was much younger, way too young to have seen it, and loved because of just how unusual and unique it was visually. And uh, it's great. To, in a lot of ways, this kind of pioneered body horror in a way that, like, uh, a lot of a lot of cinema was afraid to. Like, this is a shocking vision. I think is what they have on the cover, and that's true. It, it really is impactful. Almost every single time you see it, as a guy who's seen it religiously, I still find myself wincing at scenes or just like leaning forward on the couch, just going like, "This is this is fantastic." Hmm. Um, it. it like we have just proven it resists simple analysis and i've i've come to feel that what i find the creepiest notion about it is this sort of idea that we are seeing the movie having actualized itself and lived its philosophy as we view it i find that a very unnerving thought and what i find most unnerving about it is the irrefutability of it because we did just watch the movie and it really did kind of bring us on this journey um so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Brendan. This is an important horror movie, and I think it's a horror movie that's challenging in a way that a lot of horror isn't anymore. Like, this isn't just consumable. It kind of consumes you instead. Long live. And, and you won't flesh. be comfortable no matter what stance you take on media issues because, like Adam said earlier, he acknowledges valid points and valid crit critiques from, you know, all over the map, kind of. And so... You know, you, you if you if you know, you're not going to watch it. And, you know, if you have 10 points about media that you believe in, find that all of those boxes are going to be ticked off with a green check mark. They're going, you know, you're going to you're going to get pushback on some ideas that you hold no matter where you reside in the spectrum. It, it and I kind think of, it kind of embraces and critiques in every direction, yeah. you yeah. know, in some places it's like, yeah, TV can have a really bad effect on you. You should be careful. In places it's like, well, it's just entertainment, though. It doesn't have to have that effect. Yeah. So. No, I think uh, what's what, what's what's one thing that's great about this movie too is the you know we brought up like it's videotapes, it's really old technology, but it's it 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 works on such a basic level that the fact that the entire media landscape has changed so much since this movie came out, and it just hasn't lost relevance at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just gets down to the to the root of it so it it it, it, it hasn't aged badly in and, any way and i think it's interesting because it's almost begging to be remade for the modern age because of technological changes but that would almost be the worst thing that could happen i don't think i think it, it would be a case whoever did it would put some viewpoint on it it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't maintain that ambiguity it yeah would, it would it would ruin it in some way or not i mean i'm being pessimistic but, but i think you're right i mean that's that's not movies aren't made this way anymore typically exactly. and so and 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 it's almost expected that the director is gonna get that sort of clear point of view across and you don't have that comfort with this movie do you know what i mean it's one of those movies where you 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 could watch this movie and you're like does this movie agree with everything i stand for or not i don't know do you know what i mean yeah. that's a feeling you will have at the end of watching this film um you know and, and and it's you know modern movies aren't like that you kind of know by the end whether they agree with you or not um mm -hmm. and so i think you're right i think you're right um 
Uh, also, I would say this too. It's an excellent companion piece to scanners. It's it's a very good, uh, yeah. uh, you know, just just because we watched them back to back, there's a lot of parallels that were really leaping out at me. Um, and so, you know, if people heeded our recommendation of scanners, they should definitely check this out too. Um, I don't know. Any, anything else to add before we head out, or are we are we good? I'm good. All right. All right, so we'll be back. We really should end this review with, with one of us killing ourselves. And no, saying, no, no, we, we are not going to go no, there. No, it's, <laughs> it's too late, Brendan. <laughs> so, uh, I try to keep it PG, guys. Uh, oh, well. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back with you next time with less suicides and more horror movies. <laughs>